Hi everyone, welcome to another mini episode of Clearly Unfiltered. And if you've listened to the first mini episode, you know these mini episodes are kind of a precursor to what comes next, uh, kind of unpacking, if you will, of where I'm at and what I'm going to be talking about in future episodes. New episodes will release soon on your favorite podcast platform. And in there, I'm going to be exploring the topic of supremacy and I'm going to be unpacking it with guests, figuring out how supremacy shows up systemically in organizations and also what the impact is of that supremacy on marginalized folks in particular. So for this episode, and in preparation for what might be another two or three episodes on this topic, I wanted to share another piece of my as yet incomplete story, so that you have some context to my wrestling with privilege, and how I've had to confront the ways in which supremacy has raised its head in my journey. Some of what I share here, I've shared in blog posts, other written musings, and in-person conversations, so some of you are listening might very well have heard some parts of this before. I'm learning that as I grow older, I'm having to confront and reckon with the uncomfortable more and more. It seems to be what happens when you age. (laughs) But especially as I strive to live with more honesty, vulnerability and authenticity, this becomes true. Moreover, I've also realized that if we are committed to justice and equality in the world, We have to be more inclusive, and to be more inclusive, one of the first steps in that process, for me in any event, is recognizing the space I take up in the world, and how that space keeps other people out, or invites them in. It's also important, I believe, to recognize that those of us who have benefited and continue to benefit from supremacy often inflict harm on others just by simply accepting the status quo of our being without challenging it, accepting the space we inhabit. And so I'm going to try and explain what I mean by outlining how I have realized over the years that the privilege I embody has kept marginalized folks on the periphery. Because if I'm honest, my privilege has made many parts of my existence relatively easy. The many intersections of my identity have worn well-trodden, mostly obstacle-free paths on which I have been able to run rather than trudge. And so let me explain with a handful of examples. First of all, I'm a man. As a result, I can dominate conversations without being judged or interrupted. There's no automatic assumption for me as a man that I don't know what I'm talking about, although, to be honest, I often don't. Also, common vocabulary for years since I was born favors my gender. And as a father, I can get praise for ordinary parental duties, like looking after your kids, which a lot of fathers will say, hey, I'm babysitting today. No, you're not babysitting. You're being a father. And also, if I had chosen not to have children, I would not be accused of going against my gender's natural instinct or my role in society, whatever that means. See, I also wasn't expected to change my name when I got married, and I'm definitely less likely to be the target of street harassment. So I can travel home alone without worrying about being targeted for violence, and I'm less likely to experience intimate partner violence and also stalking. Fortunately for me, I can also age naturally without being judged for, you know, letting myself go. 
Work-wise, I benefit from the gender pay gap, and I'm also assumed to be the leader of my household, so I can avoid stereotypes like the presumption that I'd have to check with my spouse about taking a promotion, for example. I'm more likely to get job interviews and work in formal employment, and I really do have a lower risk of living in poverty. And so I know you get this. I could spend a whole episode or two just on this privilege I have because I'm a man, because the list can be long, but I think you get the idea. The thing is this, though, is I'm also white, and I grew up in apartheid South Africa, which gave me opportunities my peers of color did not enjoy. I remember in 1987 when I was a 12-year-old seventh grader and my father was maneuvered out of his influential position at work. And amongst other things, he was made redundant because he wasn't part of the Afrikaner Bruderbund, a South African secret society composed of Afrikaans-speaking Protestant white men over the age of 25. And so I was well aware for the next six years of my life as my father fought to keep his startup design business alive that money in our house was too tight to mention. However, I must be honest, in real terms, my family's financial struggles didn't really affect my comfort, despite the fact that I felt we were way poorer than my white peers' families. Truth is this, though, we continued to live in a four-bedroomed home in a good suburb, and there were generous helpings of food on the table each evening. We owned two vehicles, and I received a superb education. We even managed two or three seaside holidays in my high school years, despite the so-called struggling. In addition, as I went into my university years, I didn't pay a cent for my studies. I kid you not, four years at university, no fees. Even the cost of my books was covered. See, it happened like this is in my 12th grade, I was faced with certain conscription. At that time, it was mandatory in South Africa for young men to join the defense force for two years. And I woke up late in my grade 12 year um, and I decided to pursue a teaching degree because if you went to university, you didn't have to go to the army. But my parents couldn't afford to pay for me to go to university. But they did know someone in the education department who arranged for me to attend a very late, might I add, bursary interview. My application was successful, and I got that bursary, and even in the tempestuous years of regime change in South Africa, I remained a bursary student. And then, after four years of studying free of charge, the education department even terminated my bursary obligations with no strings attached. I was free, no working back four years of tertiary study fees. And then, during my final days at uni, I received two firm job offers from good local schools to kickstart my career. And the rest is history. I've moved from job to job for 26 years with minimal resistance, and the opportunities these have provided for continued growth and opportunity are nothing short of incredible. Well, so what, you might ask? Tell us another story. Well, I share that with you because more and more I realize that the opportunities I had early on in life and those that have followed to date and those that have followed because of the opportunities I had early on have had less to do with luck, talent, hard work, perseverance and education than they had to do with the fact and still have to do with the fact that I was born a white child to a white family at a time when whiteness was king in our country. In addition to being white and male, I'm also a cisgender heterosexual. Again, there's so many things here that I don't have to worry about. As a result of being cisgender heterosexual, I'm not identified or labeled politically, socially, economically or otherwise by my sexual orientation. 
I do not have to fear that my family, friends or co-workers will find out about my sexual orientation and that this knowledge might have negative consequences for me. I can also use public facilities like toilets and gyms without stairs, fear or anxiety. And mostly I am able to walk through the world and blend in. I rarely get stared at, gossiped about, pointed at or laughed at because of my gender expression. Amongst many more things, I also get to see myself represented everywhere. And I have support and inclusion from my family of origin for my relationship with my partner. Additionally, people do not simply assume that I am promiscuous or sex-focused because of my sexual orientation. In addition to all these things, I also grew up Christian. And so as a result, there are many things that were easy for me there too. My religious holidays were almost always recognized by public holidays, something which isn't true for other faiths. And I'm not pressured either to celebrate another religion's holidays. Christian symbols of faith are not perceived as dangerous. And I'm not maligned if one radical fundamentalist so-called Christ follower commits an act of violence. The Christian worldview also shaped much of my thoughts about life and everything else in my formative years, which, as I've deconstructed many problematic beliefs, I've realized created in me an exclusive rather than inclusive mindset. And it took years to dismantle this paternalistic way of being. I've also had to dismantle the assumption that, in the name of Jesus, one can say problematic and hurtful things without accountability, and purport to always be right. Preachers do it from the pulpit every Sunday. So, as with everyone else in life, I'm defined by this intersectionality. And I've had to reckon with the fact that the many intersections of my identity have given me significant privileges in life. And while I don't believe that my privilege makes me a supremacist per se, I do believe that I will always be recovering from supremacy because of my privilege. And the fact that I grew up in a time in South Africa when the development of a supremacy mindset was even part of my formal education. I kid you not. That has been and continues to be a lot to unpack. Another thing I've chosen, however, to not do is feel guilty about my privilege. But instead I've chosen to listen to others and to hear how my privilege impacts them and those around them. I'm also trying to understand how to live in a way that allows others to flourish. And that might very well mean stepping aside so that others can shine. It might mean affirming and encouraging or standing beside in solidarity with others. It might mean keeping quiet for a change because voices like mine have been historically loud. What it most definitely does mean for me is that I do need to celebrate diversity, that I need to embody inclusion, and I need to build up the courage to challenge the status quo when necessary, even if my voice shakes. Whatever it means, though, I know that I need to walk away from the ease of my armchair and leave my privileged cocoon. I have to get up. I have to stand up. I have to fight for the rights of every person in every way I can. The truth is I'm really still learning how to do this and I'm doing everything I can to learn and I'm asking others to help me learn. I'm also hoping others like me will want to learn too. And because we have access to individuals with similar experiences, we can use the credibility we have as a result to create opportunities to educate others about oppression and privilege.
And so that's the backdrop to the conversations I'll be having about supremacy in the episodes to come. I trust you'll stay with me. I hope you'll embrace these uncomfortable conversations. I hope you'll add your voice if you feel free to do so.